Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Friday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is November 19th. Shane, how you doing? I'm good, man. So uh, so happy to be on here. <laughs> All right. It is uh, Friday morning, mid-morning release. We have Shane Ryan. He is a writer. You're probably familiar with him. If you're, if you're a listener of this podcast, you're familiar with Shane. He's a writer for Golf Digest. He has a book coming out do we have a time of when that will be released i assume late this year early next year next year probably? oh i wish i wish that were true yeah, it's that's coming out. I had to, yeah i had to work hard to write it to submit it by you know november mid-november but it's not coming out till may okay, uh, so I was that's say. yeah yeah I was they kind of target it they target it for you know when the major start but okay you know, compared to what we do on the internet it takes so long for a I, book to come out i was gonna say i was surprised that it's already available for pre-order right it's called the cup yeah. they couldn't lose you were tweeting about it this week. Uh, you are officially done writing the first draft. How, what's that process like? Are you going to have to write a lot more? Yeah, I, it's kind of, I don't know the answer to that question. I think okay. every editor is different and I have a new one this time and I really like him. But it, like my last editor for Slaying the Tiger, the first book I wrote, didn't do anything, <laughs> which okay. is fine. You know, it's like, yeah. it's kind of like their role sometimes is more marketing and PR, but um yeah, so that book, I turned in a draft that was way too long because I thought that Microsoft Word pages were the same as book pages. So, so this, is, this is true. Like, I actually so turned, it in. I turned it in, and the editor came back and said, as it stands, your book is over 800 pages. Uh, <laughs> he's like, we're not going to publish that. So he's like, go back, go back and literally take half of it out. And I did that. Um, and once I did that, it was basically that was it. This time, you know, I knew going, I did write an 800 page book this time, which is great. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I, the, the one thing I did do was I kind of agreed to a deadline of November 1st, which would give me a month to write the book after the Ryder Cup. Okay. Uh, I don't recommend that. I don't yeah. recommend that at all. Uh, it was like high pressure, kind of great that it's over now. And I think, you know, I think the book is really good and I think people are going to love it, but Oh my God. I, you know, and I took a few extra days, but writing a book in about 40 days is insane. Uh, it's just a, a, something I'll never do again. Uh, I write fast. And even for me, it was overwhelming to sit there October 1st going, Oh my God, I've, I've got a month to write literally an entire book. All right. So you're at the RSM right now. You're in, you're in Sea Island. You also have some thoughts on the fall series. I think that maybe run counter to the misanthropes on golf Twitter. Uh, maybe, I don't know. We'll, we'll suss that out more, but now that we're on the book, let's, let's stay on the book. So the title is the cup they couldn't lose. What is yeah. the arch you, you wrote it in 40 days? What's, what's sort of the elevator pitch of it? It's a, it's, it's a Ryder cup book. You, you're a, I'd say you fell in love with the Ryder cup, right? You're at Medina and you kind of like stumbled into this and you're like, Oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And, and here you are nine years, it, it, you know, nine years later writing a book on it. What is the yeah. arc of the book? 
You're right. No, asking you for the elevator pitch is good because this will be like a comedian touring his material for the first time. Where <laughs> it's going to be horrible because I haven't even thought about it. But yeah, you know, I, I worked for Grantland in 2012 and I wasn't at that time a huge golf fan. I didn't grow up playing golf, but I'd always loved the Ryder Cup. And luckily there were no other golf people at Grantland. So when I asked them to send me to sure. Medina, it was a, uh, yeah, no, no competition. Um, and so I went and yeah, that just increased my love. What an insane okay. tournament that was. But yeah, so the arc, the elevator pitch. Um, sorry, my wife keeps calling me. You're good. Um, the elevator pitch for this book is that starting in the 80s, Tony Jacklin transformed the Ryder Cup institution for Europe. And what he did was he set a template, a strategic template that the Europeans followed down the decades. They treated it like a team sport. They had strategy. And because of that, they routinely beat better American teams. And for the longest time, America didn't understand what was happening to them because they had done nothing but win for the 50 years prior to that. And they thought they should still win because they had better golfers. It took until really Paul Azinger in 2008 or the embarrassment at Glen Eagles for the Americans to realize um, the term I really like a concept is called institutional memory. And what it means is that you learn from what happened before, both successes and failures and prior to that, the Americans had really had an ad hoc approach. It changed every two years, and they never figured out how to strategically match the Europeans. And what's happened now is that since 2014, they are learning, and they are learning quickly. And for me, what Whistling Straits was, was an answer to the question I had had for years, which is what would happen if you take the smart European tactics and put it onto an American team that is always you know, insanely talented? Yeah. And, you know, the answer is 19 to 9. Okay. Do you feel like it is, do you feel like this is carrying over to a European uh, venue? I, I feel like somebody asked that. I think it was you, maybe. Like, is, is, this, is this story over unless, uh, I think it was Spieth, right? He said it's still unfinished business until we go win in Italy or like continuing yeah. this progress, this institutional memory now needs to be carried over to a European venue. As, as sort of a, an editor, you know, writer, cover, chronicler of this. Do you agree with that? I think it should. And it's, it's always tough because you're going to have a new captain and they have to keep it going. I, I would assume it would be Zach Johnson. I don't have any inside sure. info, but that certainly seems to be, um, you know, the trajectory. But, you know, I, I spoke with Davis Love after the Ryder Cup and he said something that was interesting. He said, you know, we're going to learn from Whistling Straits. And I said, well, you just won 19 to nine. It's the grand, what can you possibly learn? And he went into these details of like, you know, there's stuff with the food that we could have done better. There was stuff with the gyms. And you hear that and you're like, it, it kind of is easy to laugh at, but you're like, these guys are obsessed with this now. You know what I mean? They yeah. are thinking of every single little angle. So, okay, there are things that were great at Whistling Straits, like Stricker got everybody to come a week early in practice. And I think that was really important. Can you do that in Rome? I mean, that's way harder to do in Rome, right? Um, you're going to have the fans be against you. Everything is much, much harder, which is why the U.S. hasn't won there in 30 years now. But I agree with Spieth that it's unfinished, unfinished business until they can do it. But I think they have the best chance possible to do it this coming time. Okay, so you've been, well, I find this interesting. So you're talking about like meals and gym time. It's like they're approaching the event and we always talk about this the event that doesn't pay them anything with the most sort of granular not that you get some pay there's obviously marketability that comes out of this there's you know it's it's a pga is making a boatload and european tour is making money but like 
just sort of the granular prep and thought that is going into an event that does not make them any doesn't doesn't have a purse at the end of the end of the day it, it's sort right. of I don't know. I'm sure this is all covered in the book, but every detail nugget like that that comes out sort of reinforces that point of why this may be the greatest event in golf, why the greatest event some argue in sports. I don't know. That, it's interesting to hear that DL3. Uh, it is, yeah. And, and Love had an interesting perspective as a player, too, because when he grew up, um, I think he was born in the early 60s. And so you know, the Ryder Cup didn't become good until he was, you know, well into his professional career. And so yeah. he said openly, making the U.S. Ryder Cup team was not a priority for me. And I think what the Europeans did, you know, they have this, Europeans have this built-in passion to beat America, right? They have to prove themselves because America has been for decades the preeminent golfing power and they probably always will be. And so there's a chip on their shoulder for the Europeans. And for the longest time, the U.S. had trouble catching up to that because they're going like, wait, why, you know, why should I care? Like, it's, it's just, especially guys who grew up when the Ryder cup was just a, a blowout, like love did. Yeah. Now what you have is a generation of players who grew up watching the Americans get killed. Right. And so they have a chip on their shoulders just based on that guys like, you know, Spieth or, or Scotty Scheffler or Justin Thomas, and they really care. And so, you know, part of the coup of what Steve Stricker did and what, you know, love did and Hazeltine and everything is getting these guys to care but that is much easier for them than it would have been for their captains uh, back when, you know, the Ryder cup wasn't in America's minds, the unbelievably passionate uh, competitive institution that it is now. How, what, so you've been in every Ryder cup since Medina as a, in a working capacity, right? You went to Glen Eagles or did you go to Paris? Not Paris. Not okay, Paris. Not Paris. One of them. But yeah, What's, all the others. How'd you find this last, this most recent one whistling straights versus the other? I mean, I, I thinking about it, I mean, watching the 2014 press conference, I mean, it was one of my uh, most memorable <laughs> yes. moments c covering the game. Uh, just being yeah. in, I know you were in the room. Um, that has to stick out if I were there. I found this most recent one to be less compelling in terms of, of there, there was less tension, less drama, of course, on the scoreboard. There was certainly pressure on the on the United States. The arena felt a little more removed. Um, I don't know. I'm just yeah. as someone who's been to so many now. You were at Madani. Hazeltine was sort of a cauldron. Uh, what's been one of the more compelling, one of the, the most compelling one you've been to? And then how was this most recent one stack up? Yeah, I think probably the most compelling from a competitive angle was definitely Medina because yeah, it was so sure. close. Um, but it, at this point, you know, working for three years on the Ryder Cup studying the history so much um what became interesting to me are these broader trends uh of what makes a successful Ryder cup team what does europe have to learn what does america have to learn and so i, I was looking at it from that angle and again this is not like <laughs> average fan stuff but even blowouts to me are really interesting and working up to that Ryder cup i kept getting the sense especially once stricker did his captain's picks and you saw patrick harrington do his uh, and to be fair, I wrote this, so I, <laughs> I can back it up. There's historical documentation. Yeah. But leading up to it, I was like, I think America is going to win and win huge here. And so to watch that play out was very, very interesting for me. And uh, But it was such a weird one in that the most dramatic session for me was Saturday afternoon because that was when uh, the U.S. was pushing to get 11 points. And yeah. you feel like 11 points is the point of no return. Like you can't 
I like look. This team was so good. I don't think they were coming back. The Europeans, even if it was nine to seven, I don't think the Europeans were coming back. But eleven to five puts it beyond all doubt. And so to watch them push for that and to see the tactics that Stricker used, for me, it was really really interesting. Um, <laughs> but then I guess in the back of my mind, there was a thing of like, you know what, Shane, you're about to write a book about a Ryder Cup that ended nineteen to nine. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. there was that. But I, I honestly didn't care because the book is so historical and it takes that angle to such a degree that I still. Just all Ryder Cups are fascinating to me, you know, despite the fact that Sunday was just, you know, kind of a coronation. Um, I, I, you talk about trends in this institution memory year over year. Like, I, I think this is probably why the, where the book serves as a, a, a valuable tool is like one thing we kept hearing coming out of that is like, where's the young blood? Who's going to replenish the European side? And then, you know, the counter to that will be two years is a long time. And you're looking at a three day snapshot that might be may not be indicative of any of the golf that was played in the prior 300 and whatever 62 days of those players but what where do you how do you find that blend between trends like year over year uh structure program building versus um yeah two years is a long time and and you know golf is golf and it's a fickle thing and three anything can happen in three days is that where the book that sounds like the tool that this book uh, provides right the service that this book could provide blending that yeah and i and i think that's part of what makes the Ryder cup so interesting because you can have these sort of anomalous performances where yeah. you're like wow rory just went and won a tournament like a week later yeah. why was he so bad why did he not make a birdie in one of his matches with ian poulter and i think that's the team element um and this is the hardest thing to convince people that you can play better or worse based on how you're prepared and how your team runs and, um, you know, Chris Solomon, our friend, he, uh, you know, he had a great take watching the Solheim Cup where it finally clicked in for him that, yeah, it makes sense that actually your performance is elevated by, by your team spirit and by like strategies and things like that. Mm-hmm. Captains can do so much. And I think a lot of times people explain it away as saying, well, here you go. It's just a small sample size. That's why these people played poorly and these people played well. But actually, I think what happens sometimes is that people play differently than they do otherwise. And that can also mean playing better. Um, based on how what is so unique about the Ryder Cup and how your team plays and everything like that, um, you know, like, well, it's like Ian Poulter. He played the best he had ever played uh, recently at the Ryder Cup. I mean, he was so yeah. good. Yeah, he happened to be paired with Rory, so he didn't win. But then he went and beat Tony Finau on Sunday. Uh, there's just certain guys and certain things. And to go back to your point about the European younger talent, it is true that two years is a long time, and obviously winning on the road is tough, but. You start to go, well, the other than like John Rahm and Rory, like who do they really have? And all these old guys, like all these guys who have been legends for them for so long are either going to be gone for sure. Like Westwood, it's impossible to see him making it. Or if you do take them, they're going to be like in their mid forties and it's, yeah, things are really changing and they need to find some great Ryder cup players quick. All right. Well, the book is the cup they couldn't lose. You can order it now. Just order it now, and it'll show up whenever it comes out. May you think? That's you right. Can it'll be a good about it. All the yeah. big, the big, you know. All the stuff. big. Yep. Uh, the cup they couldn't lose. What was the most? What was like the most despairing moment or most pressurized moment of writing a book in forty days? Where you're like, oh, oh shit. Was there <laughs> ever? You write fast. I mean, you got it done. Was there yeah. ever a time where you're like? It seems like you've done years of work and research. It wasn't like you just sat down cold and had to write. Yeah. But was there a moment in the process that was like intense or, or sort of on the tightrope? Tight 
Yeah, I took a weekend off to play in a golf tournament with some friends. And then so I was like, all right, you really you took three days off. You got to hit the ground running this next Monday. Right. And so I wrote that Monday morning. I wrote the Steve Stricker chapter and I was very happy with it. It was about, you know, 5000 words. And then my Microsoft Word, all of a sudden, all the text turned to asterisks. And I was like, "What, what? I've never seen anything like that before. And I started Googling it and it's like a real problem. Uh, it's like a real bug in whatever version I was using. There's absolutely no way to fix it. I hadn't saved any of it. Oh, and no. so that was a real moment where I was like, there are two options here. <laughs> one is to like, you know, I spent a half hour trying to recover it. It was clear it was not going to. And it was like, okay, one of two things happens here. Either you just completely melt down and yeah. give up and the rest of your life is a disappointment or, <laughs> or you have to immediately write this chapter. Like you, you just have to like do it right now. Right now. And I did. And I, and I, <laughs> You know, I had like the memory of having written the chapter. So it probably went a little quicker than a normal chapter would. Sure. And I, I just finished it. And of course, you know, saving every five minutes after that and copying and pasting into Google Docs. But that was the moment. I think that was like the moment of truth where it almost inspired me a little. Because I'm like, all right, universe, <laughs> like you really, you really are testing me here. Uh, yeah. So that all was right. the one. Well, that story is worth your whatever. It's $16 alone. Pre-order it. That, that story alone. <laughs> Redeem that. Um, all right. So... You are on the road at the moment. It's part of also why you want. I saw you tweeting about your book coming out. Uh, you're on the road. You're at the RSM Classic. Uh, I think that's what the official title now. It's the Sea Island Stop. It's always been the last stop before Thanksgiving. I think it's been a fall series. Paint a picture of what the scene is like on the ground there. What I, my, my contention here for three or four years is that the PGA Tour has a lot of superfluous events, and I would consider this to be the yeah. most superfluous I, i'm not saying it's it's bad it's it clearly exists because they can put up fedex cup points in a purse and players will show up and players live in the area but it's just it's already a golf resort it's not drawing any new fans in it's not going to be an atmosphere the the, the broadcast isn't going to pop like it just feels like a missed opportunity to do something new or different that's always been my contention but maybe like the point of playing golf on tour at this point is just to get those points and money and play at a comfortable stop. Well, I, it can't be too lively there. What's the scene like at, at the RSM? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's not super lively. It's known for being a very laid back event. Right. I mean, that's kind which of like fine. A, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is fine. It's this whole thing. It's beautiful. I mean, I really like coming here because I can drive here. I live in North Carolina, so I can drive down. And so like selfishly, there's a lot I enjoy about it. Yeah. Very easy to talk to people. Like I just did a story that I just filed about this, this like Sea Island Mafia, right? There's like dozens of people who live here. Some like a lot on the PGA Tour, but also developmental tours. And now they have like trainers and sports psychologists and caddies. Everybody's moving here. Um, so it's, it's kind of like mini tour life. It's like a fantasy camp um so yeah you can really get good access I, I always love talking to davis love he's one of those guys that's always really fun to talk to um yeah okay so selfishly like this for for a media member it's a really great thing i then i got like i talked to luke donald and justin rose about the Ryder cup etc cetera, etc cetera. but um yeah from a fan's angle um we were joking earlier about fall golf and my quote-unquote love for it. I feel like that's like an affectation for me. Like if I had a corn cob pipe or something, like that, that's my like fall golf love. I don't really mean it, but you know, I'll I'll keep that corn cob pipe. But uh, no, yeah, it's I don't know. It's you're right that they could do something new, but what really could you do that would be exciting at this time of year? You know what I mean? Uh, I just don't know like what that would mean um, unless they did a match play tournament or something. Sure. But 
I, know, for, what it's, for what it's worth, it's like, okay, you've got a pretty decent field here. Uh, it's calm. It's laid back. Is it like a great TV product? I don't, I don't know. No, you know, I mean, no. yeah. yeah. I think my, my bone to pick has always been like, it, it felt like Houston last week is in the city, right? It's something new. It's something different. It's, sure, a, it's sure. a municipal course. I, I, I just felt like, I don't know, some market out there that's not already in the boat, which Sea Island is very much in the boat in terms of yeah. golf, recreational, con- pro, cons- like totally, it's a golf yeah. hotbed. I don't know what that is. Charleston. I don't know. They go everywhere. They play every week. But, so yeah. there's options. But there's not a lot of options. But that, that's always been my pushback. So uh, anything this week? That's percolating as you're walking around. It seems like the course is extremely, I don't know, defenseless yesterday. It's supposed the wind is supposed to be up. Like the, it was, I think it was the second lowest scoring average in a long time, maybe ever yesterday. Everybody's going eight, nine, 10 under. Um, I don't know. It's interesting to hear you talk about, maybe this is for the media and the players. Sean Martin always contends this is his favorite event because he can drive up from Jacksonville really quickly. He gets yeah. easy access. It's laid back. There's not a ton of, you know, apparatus and obstacles. So maybe it's, it, you know, it's, it's not meant to be, you know, the U S open or anything like that clearly. But, uh, is there anything this week that's particularly sticks out in your mind? It feels like we're at the end of a, of just like a 20 month slog is what it feels like to be honest with you. But what, oh, what's, what's the theme for you this week? Yeah. No, I, I do like that idea by the way of like, you know, look, if you're bored watching it at home, just take solace in the fact that the journalists are, happy. <laughs> <laughs> right. they're happy. Uh, yeah, no, it is. It's, and it does feel like, yeah, like this season has been particularly long because of COVID and everything that ha- it just feels, yeah, it totally does. Um, <laughs> what's the theme of this week? Great question. The mafia, probably, right? I, I mean, yeah, it feels yeah, like yeah. That. that's that's always the story, and like you can even tell the guys are really good, but you can even tell talking to them, it's like every year they have to. Every year somebody writes the story. Yeah, and you know, this year, like it was me. I tried to take a different angle of like you know what life is like, but so there's that theme. I mean, there's little things like it's kind of interesting that even though they have you know 15 people in it every year, no Sea Island person has ever won gotcha. uh, this thing. Um, yeah, like you have guys who there could be a story of, you know, last year, Robert Streb won. And it's like guys who haven't won in a long time have a chance here. Like you said, with no wind yesterday, there was just incredible scoring, um, particularly at the seaside course, which needs the wind to, to have any kind of defense. And other than that, you know, it just depends on the players. It's just kind of, yeah, you're not going to have some overarching, exciting thing before you see like the drama on Sunday. But, you know, as we saw with like Rory or, uh, you know, like Victor Hovland, there can be kind of fun finishes to these events. And I think that's just what you have to take from it. And otherwise, maybe just not take it too seriously and try to just enjoy the golf, I guess. I mean, that's yeah. all you can do. I, I think like give in the current moment with these sort of uh, upstart leagues or, or ideas, I would say they're not leagues, they're ideas percolating out there. Like the contrast of, of the, those conversations, which is all they are, like what could be, what this should be versus watching, you know, like another event where it's, you know, Ches Reeve versus Tag Ridings <laughs> versus Jonathan Vegas and everybody's shooting 63. Like yeah. uh, this is, those are incredible. They're, they're in the top 0.1% players, uh, uh, golfers in the world. It's like, I, I think this fall series has particularly stood out in contrast. Now, again, those aren't like actual products. It's conversations of people. Uh, uh, I guess live golf investments is put money into something that may, may or may not ever yeah. go anywhere. But I, I think that's what I found interesting is turning on the TV, seeing like, you know, 
I hate saying like Russell Henley interview and then a Grayson Sig shot and then a William McGirt shot. And you're like, yeah. it stands in contrast yeah. to those conversations that are happening right now. It's a really, actually, it's a really good point. And also it's like those, these fall events, if that were ever to be successful, like a Saudi golf league or whatever, like these fall events probably would not exist in nearly the same way. Right. I mean, these exist because of the strength of the PGA tour and yeah. that, Totally. It's like it's like a publishing company, right? Like Harry Potter pays for everybody else to write books. <laughs> and if you didn't have like the Harry Potters, you know what I mean? Like it would sure. these other books exist because of like the big things, the big draws. <laughs> and if you took away the big draws or you diluted it in some way, yeah, you're not gonna have a tournament where you see like Grace and Sig and Chez Reeves or whatever. Yeah, and like from from a spectator perspective, you might say, Who who cares? But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just Look, it's easy to disagree on this stuff, but I, I just think like a, it's kind of like a high tide raises all boats. And I think yeah. it's good that you have these things. And I'm not saying it's going to be the most exciting event you watch all year. Obviously, it's not. Um, but it's, you know, a thriving PGA Tour ecosystem is good for golf. I'm, you know, I've always been against like the Saudi idea. Sure. Uh, but I do think, yeah, I guess I would just say that like this is these things exist because of the strength of the pga tour that and yeah and they simply wouldn't like if, if you didn't have like rory mcelroy and, and all these great players supporting it what would these fall events be who would watch it how would you finance it you know etc how would you get you might not end up with the guy getting dq'd for a sticker on his driver that was <laughs> the, right. big, the big drama of, of the opening round our, our beloved boy from Bratislava here he's a, a favorite yeah. of the shot, shotgun start dq'd for what was it, it was like a a launch monitor sticker tracking device on the face of that the driver. That seemed like what it was, yeah. Okay. That and they wouldn't they wouldn't say specifically, but it seemed almost definite that it was something he used on the range and forgot to take off. Um, that it was like a launch monitor thing that you use the the sticker itself, like syncs up with the monitor and gives you all the data and, and analyzes your swing. And so, yeah, you would use it on the range to practice. And it seems like he forgot to take the sticker off and. Now there are riots in Slovakia. So. <laughs> my, my big contention is that all the, the driver could have been hot. The face could have been hot, hot as the surface of the sun. But the sticker is the one thing that got him in trouble because they're not testing all the drivers. That's what we always say. Uh, so I would say from a winner standpoint, this has been a strong fall. You had a Sam Burns, you had a Rory, you had a Hovland, Hideki winning in Japan. Max Homa is a, a, a big name, let's be honest, a favorite uh, of certainly... Yeah. Twitter has, has penetrated the larger golf ecosystem, certainly, when it comes to awareness. Um, it, it's been a strong fall. And for me, though, in terms of winners, for me, it's been a little less inspiring. And I think it's just because we've played nothing but golf nonstop since June of 2020. That, that colonial yep. restart with eight major or seven majors kind of rapidly firing through them. Uh, but But... You wrote an article for Golf Digest this week about your favorite moments from the fall series. What were, hey, for listeners, what was your top moment from the fall series? I think it was Tiger. Tiger. Yeah, Tiger winning the Zozo. Uh, okay. I think that tied him with Snead for the for 82 wins. Yep. The, ch- tournaments. the chase for 82. What do you find, I don't know, endearing uh, about the fall? <laughs> uh, whereas a lot of people tend to just bag on it. Like, this is when we watch football. It shouldn't exist. Or this is just like... Yeah. It seems like there may be some reformation coming. There may not be FedEx Cup point. There's all these rumors about whether it'll be more European dominated with the strategic right. alliance. What have you found endearing about in your years covering the game about the fall series? The funny thing to me about the football argument is that 
like you can just go watch football. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, like no fan signs a contract with a PGA tour. That's like, I must watch this many events per year. It's like, sure. just don't watch. Like, yeah. like, do you like golf? And then you may tune in or not, you know, for the fall events. Yeah. It's like totally up to you, but it's a bonus. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I like, again, it's, it's something that's kind of like tongue in cheek a little bit, like my, you know, my corn cob pipe lo- lo- loving the fall events, but right. I do think there are some great moments usually. And, and like, as you said, like great winners in the fall, is it something that I'm going to watch religiously? Definitely not because there is football and there's other like things to watch, but yeah, I still like following it and I'm just okay with it existing again. You know, it's like yeah. more opportunities for the players, more opportunities to watch golf. If you like golf and uh, I guess it's like, uh, for me, it's like, what's the downside here? You know what I mean? Right. It, it, like, you can just opt out. Like n- nobody has to do anything. People are kind of like, well, I feel overwhelmed by this so many golf. And I understand that, especially in a Ryder Cup year, because the Ryder Cup is such a perfect emotional climax to the golf season Good that point. then you're like, wait a second. Like now there's like, we're not even taking like a two month break or anything. Right. Um, so I get that. But yeah, I would just go back and saying just, yeah, opt out if you don't like it. Kind what of were thing. some of the other fall moments in your article, Golf Digest? Yeah, I'm looking like, now. Um, yeah, so like Justin Thomas got his first win. He, sure. um, he made like a double bogey on 14. This was at the CIMB in Malaysia in 2015. I missed and then had that a come back to beat Adam Scott. You had um, Victor Hovland uh, at the Mayakoba last year where he made like a, <laughs> yeah, like a 12 foot putt or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I embedded the tweet with the Norwegians calling it. It's like so good. Uh, <laughs> like the excited Norwegian call of his putt is great. Then you had, um, you know, there's a five-person playoff. Sergio won with a great iron shot on the 18th at Sanderson. Sanderson. Yeah. yeah, Rory winning this year. Um, Bryson DeChambeau's first win uh, where he made a huge eagle. And then, uh, you know, I, there are a couple others that are <laughs> less exciting probably. But, yeah, I just, I, it's just kind of the point of, like, you know, what else do you write in the fall? Like, you write about fall events. Yeah, there's some, like, there, there are some good moments here every year. That that I guess that's the theme. Listening to like first wins is like it does. It is an introduction, right? It's an opportunity. Yeah. The the stakes may not be the highest, but it's sort of a a um, an intro paragraph to maybe some greater careers, whether it's JT or uh, a Bryson. Um, the one thing I struggle with is Rory. Like we don't need to get into a Rory discussion. Is like what are what's additive for him? playing these events like what he's obviously yeah. he plays for legacy he talks about that right he said it this week or he's like the, the saudi thing is a money grab and i'm playing for legacy but like yeah. what so what what's additive to his resume winning in, in a fall event right but i, I think like the, this year was it was like a nice round number i got to 20 pga tour wins that was like right, a big right. deal so I, I think that's that's the balance. I, I think we should probably take it for whether it's like a rookie mini camp kind of thing or a summer league, NBA summer league type stuff where there's these curiosities and amusements. And then you also get to see these young players really show out for the for maybe the first time. Yeah, like very little addition to his legacy, right? To I yeah. mean, <laughs> unless he finishes right. with 20 wins or you know, if he never wins again, then he'd be right. like, yeah, it's good that he won that CJ Cup. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, for Rory, there's not much. And yeah, the PGR, uh, the tour is obviously trying to strike that balance between, um, you know, we need to have good players in these fields, like, so that it's not just a rookie minicamp, because that would right. be even less, you know, interesting. Um, and so they do, I think they like, they tweak the rules a little bit so that these guys, 
they probably could take off to the new year, but it would make things very difficult with the requirements for the next year. So yeah. it sort of behooves them to play one here or there. And that's kind of what they were after. So you get Rory, you get Hideki, whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it, it is a combo thing. Again, it, you and I, I'm sure, are so sick of writing the story where it's like, hey, this guy won and transformed his career. This guy that like probably won't win again for three years and that nobody really cares about. But it's still a story, right? I mean, that is still a really big deal for that guy who wins yeah. that. So you can have these things where, yeah, and then as we saw, like DeChambeau, Justin Thomas, like a lot of these guys got their first wins in the fall and we can kind of get a taste of what might be coming down the pipeline for them. So there's like little nuggets here and there. And yeah, I mean, I hope I'm not coming off like a propagandist for fall golf here. Cause no, that's not, no, I, not at all. No, no, we get it. There's enough negativity be. around it. Like uh, yeah, uh, any yeah. kind of balanced view of it, I think probably comes off as too positive because all it is is people seem to bag on it, you know? So totally. Yeah. Like, so in a week when I'm not covering it, if I'm, you know, at home and I'm not working or whatever, it's like, yeah, like if all it is, is that <clears throat> if all it is, is that in the last two hours, I get to like watch Victor Hovland try to close out a tournament. Sure. You know what I mean? Or if I just sure. catch it for an hour at the end or Rory, like, that's good enough for me for fall golf. And yeah. I'm glad it's there. The one that sticks out in my mind is, is Charles Howell the third went in here after like 11 years off the RSM. Okay. Like, I don't know that, that maybe that's an argument for that. He made so much freaking money over 10 years, but never actually won. So yeah. like you do get those mix of moments that doesn't happen if there's not a fall series or fall events. So, and that's something that whenever that happened, I don't know what that was three years ago. Now, either yeah. way it's, it's in my memory bank. So my, um, the first tournament I covered for the slaying the tiger run was in 2013 here at sea Island. And it came down to Briny Baird, who was, I think maybe maybe still like the most money for someone who never won uh, uh, versus Chris Kirk and Chris Kirk was coming up and uh, it like, meant the world to Briny Baird and you could tell the pressure and Chris Kirk was like young and you know had no yeah. scar tissue really uh, and Briny Baird lost and like seeing him after the trailer he was completely heartbroken but you know that's like real drama real personal drama that again like not many people are going to like find it in their hearts to care about Briny Baird, but being there, it was like, Oh my God, like what a, what a devastation for this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, there's that kind of stuff always too. Yeah, absolutely. And we will read that stuff from you. You'll be a, you'll be golf dive. Are you staying through the weekend? Yeah. I'm here the whole okay. time. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Shane Ryan for joining us. Uh, the book is the cup. They couldn't lose. You can order it now. We'll read you at Golf Digest. Follow you on Twitter. Are you still, what are you Shane Ryan here? Is that what it is? Shane Ryan here. Yeah. At Shane Ryan here. Shane, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Brendan. All right, have a good one.